Hello, and welcome to Wise Children's Detention with me, Emma Rice. As they like to say in football, this is a podcast of two halves. I will explain why later, but before we stray from the path, let's set off as planned. This week, I want to talk about dance and movement and what a huge part it plays, not only in Mallory Towers, but in my life. I've always loved dancing. My childhood was filled with dressing up boxes and free movement in the sitting room. Whenever I hear Booker T and the MG's Soul Limbo from 1968, now best known for being the cricket theme on BBC, I remember an early primary school lesson when we had to close our eyes and listen to the music. The teacher started by asking us to wiggle our fingers, then our hands, then our arms. You get the idea. Imagine my delight when our feet were finally released by the teacher and we were allowed to skip wildly and freely, feeling the intoxicating rhythm course through the smelly school hall. Around the age of seven, I started ballet classes at the Morrison School of Dance in Nottingham. The Morrison School of Dance was run by sisters, Nora and Tess Morrison. For any of you wise children enthusiasts out there, I often wonder whether Angela Carter had heard or even met these two elderly sisters, still living together, still living a life of dance, and one called Nora? Spooky, eh? Anyway, back to the path. I loved classes, although Miss Morrison was a harsh critic and I never shined. I went with my best friend, Becca, who lived two doors down from me. We drank in the romantic piano music, the discipline and the strange fantasies encouraged by the world of ballet. Bird cages and princes were the order of the day and we loved it. We dreamt of getting into point shoes and worked hard at our spring points to build the strength in our toes and ankles. Lord, help us to push, shouted Miss Morrison. In one withering comment, she once said that if she could put my arms and Becca's legs together, we might just make a passable dancer. We were quite happy with that at the time. We knew that neither of us were destined for the profession. We danced for the love of it. But life is cruel. In one lesson, Becca collapsed with chronic pain in her knees. She was later diagnosed with leukaemia, and to my eternal heartbreak, she spent the next months of her life fighting a losing battle. Ballet classes were never the same. I struggled on by myself for a while, and did manage to get onto point, but I gave up when I started secondary school. The skip had definitely been taken out of my step. But training is training is training. I can still feel ballet in my old bones now, and it has served me very well over the years. At drama school, I loved period dance classes with the inspirational Sue Lefton. And when I started my acting career, I felt my feet tapping again. My early career was spent with a brilliant company based in Exeter, Theatre Alibi. They are still going strong now, so check them out if you get the chance. At Theatre Alibi, I discovered what it was to be in a company for the first time and what it was to devise. I had a very real input into the work we were making and my input would often be movement. I remember teaching myself to lindy hop, teaching myself to quick step and teaching myself how to line dance, all to feed into our wonderful shows for adults and children. 
It was the early 90s, and the ambitious and experimental Theatre Alibi got a grant for us all to go to Poland to train with the Gardzianica Theatre Association. This experience, and the year that followed when I returned to work with them as a performer, changed my creative life forever. Gardzianica is led by Wodek Staniewski and is built on extraordinary principles of movement and song. Gardzianica is a landmark company and defined by no one but themselves. But to put them in a wider theatre history context, Staniewski worked with Grotowski before setting up Gardzianica and Song of the Goat came out of Gardzianica. What a chain. Look them all up if you get a chance. In Poland, everything I thought I knew was turned upside down. No bird cages or princes here. This was elemental. We worked through the night, running in silence through the forests. We pushed through exhaustion to find hidden depths and sang and moved like primal creatures. If I had been skilled up at the Guildhall, Garjanicha cracked me open and broke me down. I found vocal resonances that I didn't know I had and an earthy energy that has never left me. We lifted each other, physically and spiritually, worked in rhythmic unison, trained as an ensemble and made work as if our lives depended on it. I changed physically. I sweated like never before. I felt emotions I'd never felt before. And I vowed to only make work that mattered from that moment on. There was no going back. There then followed some years in the creative wilderness when I struggled to fit into British theatre. But everything came together when I got on a train to Cornwall to audition for Knee High. The rest, as they say, is history. But needless to say, I fell in love with the rural beauty of Cornwall and the astonishing ensemble of wild and committed performers I met there. I called it my happy Poland and stayed for over 25 years. Here, I trained with the company. They taught me how to clown and I taught them to dance. We ran on the Cornish clifftops and partied as hard as we worked. I was still performing, but often choreographed the shows from within and soon started directing with the encouragement of the wonderful and generous Mike Shepherd and Bill Mitchell. We learned Cornish clog dancing for the Red Shoes and the Black Bottom for Tristan and Isolt. I was doing everything and I loved it. However, there is an important moment in your professional life when you realise that there are others who are better than you. And as my own work started to develop, I knew it was time to bring in the professionals. I needed to find myself a choreographer. I first started working with Etta Murfitt, Associate Artistic Director of the Incredible New Adventures, on my ill-fated musical, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. I was suspicious at first. I didn't want showbiz or a punishing dance training regime to tarnish my precious world of ensemble, and I was loath to let go of the movement reins. But she was extraordinary fun, fresh and hugely talented, Etta created dances so far beyond my homemade skills that I was left applauding and laughing in her wake. She has a unique way of allowing the performers to help create the dances and then pushing the movement language to a new level. 
We became instant friends and long-term colleagues and have since worked on many shows together, with her both performing and choreographing. Umbrellas of Cherbourg, The Wild Bride, A Midsummer Night's Dream, Twelfth Night, Steptoe, Wise Children, just to name a few. Once again, there was no going back. So imagine my upset when she wasn't available for Mallory Towers. New Adventures were creating their astonishing Romeo and Juliet and we just couldn't make the dates work. We both licked our wounds and, with Etta's help, I started to look for the right person to work on Mallory. I've been around too long to not know that every knockback creates a new opportunity. So I started thinking about what could make this show fizz with a fresh pair of eyes and a fresh pair of legs. I wanted old school. I wanted steps. I wanted glamour and tap and fun, like the 1940s musicals I love so much. The choice was clear. I wanted Alistair David. I'd first seen Alistair's work when I saw My Fair Lady in Sheffield, and his epic routines knocked my socks off. Unbelievably, he was free, and our Mallory Towers journey began. I talked to him during the get-out of the rehearsal room in London, so forgive the noises off. I'm Alistair, Alistair David, the choreographer. Um, tell me a little bit about the process from your point of view. Um, it's been really great fun, first and foremost. Super creative. Uh, let's discover it together, which is a, a fairly new way of uh, approaching work for me, anyway which is just really lovely, really liberating and um, ultimately very satisfying. Oh, well, thank you. But you're making it sound like we're all sort of floating around. We've done an amazing well, amount of we've work. Well, we've put a show together in three weeks, which is <laughs> the unbelievable thing, that having just said what I've just said, we've just done a run-through of the show and we spent three weeks doing that. So I don't know how we've done it, but I... I suspect it's all down to you. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'd love to take the credit, but I mean, I think I'm a bit knocked out by the level of detail there is mm. in all of it, but, mm. but primarily the choreography. What, what were your starting points? Because you, or even though you're saying that we found it in the room, you came in with a huge palette. Yeah, well, I, I looked at uh, dance styles from the era, um, but I didn't just want it to just be that. Uh, I don't think it's a museum piece. I don't think, I think it's uh, a nod to those those dances, the the Lindy Hop, the swing dancing, a bit of Charleston. It's a, there's a nod to all of that, but maybe a slightly sort of edgier, more contemporary take on that uh, that gives the girls a little uh, quite a sporty sort of. Uh, cartoony sort of uh, language. Yeah, they don't feel... It's a really fantastic thing you've done because they're clearly an amazing group of people and young women, but they don't, they're not sexualised in any no, way. No, no, and I think that's really important that it, it, it stays um, away from that. Um, and actually, I think we've achieved that and it's still really, really fun and... Um, sort of really attractive in a true sense yes. it's irresistible isn't yes, it yes yeah and you I feel, I feel like we know them and love them at the end but we haven't pulled any of the usual strings to no. get that response no no i think that i think that you're absolutely right there 
um, yeah, very, very proud of what we've achieved in the short space of time. Um, you do everything. You haven't had any assistance on this, from the warm-up through uh, to the warm-down and the notes. Yep. Where, yep. Where's, what's your background? Uh, well, I'm, I was a dancer um, and uh, classically trained, but I'd, I've been tapping since since I could walk, really. Um, so it's all I've ever done, so it's very much in my, in my body. The warm-up thing, I think, is a thing, is a personal thing about not, not getting old. Um, I think I've, I think in 20 years' time, someone will be tapping me on the shoulder, whispering, why don't you just sit this one out? Uh, <laughs> never, never, never. So I, I do love doing the warm-up. I, I like to choose some cool tunes and some fun tunes for everyone to get started, to sort of move their bodies. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be dancing till the day I die, I think. I think your warm-up tunes are legendary, can I say? <laughs> I, think, I think we should release the album as warm-up. Um, now that's what album. I call Mal Mallory Towers. <laughs> exactly. But it does a really good thing, because you do energise the room, but you do bring the modern world into yeah. the room. Which yeah. I think does bleed backwards yeah. and forwards, which is everything I, I dreamt of. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think we've got to keep it... Uh, fresh for today's audiences and I think what you've done with your script is 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 absolutely make it relatable to uh, uh, the youth of today and um, so yeah I think uh, bringing in some house music and some hip-hop does does <laughs> uh, does serve as well I suppose we haven't we just haven't asked the performers to be anything other than what they are and then to grow into mm. there's a sort of uh, porosity mm. of the past and their present, mm. and as I say, I think the way that they're moving is so intoxicating, mm. and that's yeah. really down to. I agree. I agree. I'm really happy. What's next? What's the next stage? Because we're about to move to Bristol. Well, I think more detail now. Um, we're going to really. Uh, we've got. A, we've got a skeleton, and um, I think now we just like really, really detail it and see where we can be better, um, where the cast can be better. Um, and just, uh, you know, just really focus on making something really unique and exciting. Oh, you're a bloody long way there, I tell you. <laughs> but it's lovely when I do see those little pops of articulation and detail that you mm. put into the choreography. Mm. Your heart skips, it really mm. works. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll, I think the company's going to enjoy yeah. leaving London. And yeah, I agree. Feels like we'll be on a school trip, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Bring Thank it on. Thank you very much. Thank you. I had planned to interview the cast for this podcast. However... Disaster struck. I told you this was a podcast of two halves. So, instead of illuminating chats with the cast, I am now going to pull back the curtain and introduce Wise Children's own Wizard of Oz. Hello, Simon Baker. Simon is my partner in life and art and has, as well as being an award-winning sound designer, been recording and producing these podcasts. Hello, Simon Baker. Hello, Emma Rice. How does it feel to be on the other side of the microphone? It's really weird. I'm not sure I like this at all. Would you like to simply explain why we didn't record members of the cast after I recorded Alistair David? The really simple version is probably about 20 minutes after you recorded Alistair David, all of our equipment got stolen out the back of our car <laughs> from a car park in Whitechapel. Um, so yeah, we'd, we'd packed the car and then we went to your press night because Simon did the sound on Regent's Park's Midsummer Night's Dream. So we went out for a very nice night on Friday night, returned to the car on Saturday to find... The, the passenger window had been completely smashed in and the contents neatly cleared out. 
Except the harp. Except for the harp. The harp <laughs> remained entirely intact. No one's interested in the harp. And my chic CD, which I was a bit upset by. So they had no musical taste. No musical taste by those thieves. Anyway, we don't need to bore you with the details, but needless to say, we had to stay in London uh, for an event that we'd agreed to go to. And it ended up, because the car was now open with a harp in it, that we couldn't leave the car. So I ended up sat in the car while Simon went to an event. Oh, God, yeah. I'd forgotten the <laughs> horror. The three-hour, could you just sit in the NCP car park in Islington for three hours? Hot. Yeah. And it's very... I don't... I couldn't go to the loo. I'm going to leave everybody's imagination to what I did with that. But in my free time, because it was the longest three hours, the hottest three hours of my life, I fashioned a window out of sellotape and we did manage to get home that night. But it was incredibly loud, wasn't it? And we ended up, my favourite bit was because uh, the wind against this sellotape window was so loud that our ears were hurting. So oh, you said, hideous. let's put our he- headphones on. Yeah. So you put on your fancy headphones, which were in your bag. Yeah. And I had my earbuds, but we didn't have anything to plug them into. So. Hey, well, everything been nicked. There's nothing left to plug in. <laughs> so it was just Simon with some loose headphones on. Um, So that has meant that normally we're ahead of the game with these podcasts, but you've been trying to replace the kit all week. Yeah, we normally we'd record. I can't remember. We're usually we're usually live. We're usually about a week ahead, aren't we? Mm -hmm. So by now we're editing and ready to upload the podcast. But today we've literally been unpacking boxes from Amazon, trying to find the right cables, trying to get everything together to record. Yeah, today. So we're now. What time is it now? Two o'clock. Em wants to watch the tennis. I really do. In fact, it's about to start. It's about to start. I'm going to sit here for an hour and try and cut this into something. <laughs> and then maybe we'll get it up online for tomorrow morning. Well, you're my hero. And let's hope that some lucky person is setting up a sound studio as we speak and changing the world. Oh my, there's material on those SD cards that really shouldn't be out in the world. I mean, there's nothing CD, <laughs> but there is... <laughs> you think? So anyway, this is another podcast, but I am actually the body of Miss Grayling. Um, so we think that that's gone onto the dark web, don't we? I think the green screenshots of you, Miss Grayling's, currently up on YouTube. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Simon. Thank you for all the amazing work you do on these podcasts. Oh, thank and I'm you. I'm really sorry. It was a horrible thing that happened with the car. Oh, it's hideous. Never mind. We're back now. We're back. The podcast is back. Join us next week for Tales of the Passenger Shed, where we're about to start teching our brilliant show. Head back to school this summer with Enid Blyton's Mallory Towers, live on stage at the Passenger Shed Bristol. Join Daryl, Mary Lou and friends for midnight feasts and thrilling adventures as they discover what the world has in store for them. The new show from director Emma Rice and the creators of Wise Children and Brief Encounter, Mallory Towers is at the Passenger Shed right next to Bristol Temple Mead Station from the 19th of July. Book now at bristolovic.org.uk.